Hey, thank you for joining the Tipping Point. My name is Johnny Tipton. I'm your host for this podcast. We appreciate you coming and visiting with us. We thank you for all of the feedback we're getting, whether it's text message, phone calls, emails, uh, different things, feedback on these uh, podcasts. We appreciate you getting on here and giving us your feedback. Our goal is to be an encouragement to you and through your life and things you're going through and struggles that we deal with on a daily basis. And so our, our, our goal is to really bring a word to you in the moment that you need it. Some of these podcasts are going to vary from 15 minutes to 20 minutes, but we're going to try to make sure we keep everything no more than 20 minutes at a time. So we hope that you sit back for the next few minutes, whether you're on your way to work, laying in the bed or sitting at the house, just listen to this podcast. I pray that this blesses you. And we're going to get right into it because I want to talk about the promises to the overcomer. The word overcome or overcometh or overcomer comes from the Greek word nikau. And it appears in the Bible uh, some roughly 32 times. Numbers in the Bible play a very important role. If you don't believe that, you can read 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. And it talks about how he took arrows and he uh, said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And the Bible said that he smote the ground three times. And the man of God was was mad at him. And he said, you should have smitten five or six times. And you, you, thou hast spent in Syria, he said, till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria, but three times only. Numbers 1 through 12 are the main numbers throughout the Bible. Uh, that those numbers had a specific meaning, all of their combinations, those numbers except for a few like 40, 50, and a few others. The numbers 32 in and of itself does not have a certain meaning to it. However, the combination of the two does. Three plus two equals five. Five is God's grace. So the 30, 32, Nikael, it mentions or it's indicated that God's grace is given or poured out upon those who overcome. And again, that word is nikau and in the Greek. And so when you look at that and you think about the, the way that we're looking at the promises of God and understand that eight of those 32 times is mentioned in the Old Testament. Of course, the number eight we know means a new beginning. 24 times it appears in the New Testament. 24 in and of itself doesn't have a specific meaning, but the combination of two plus four equals six. Six is the number of man or carnality, the works of the working of the man. Therefore, two or twenty-four or two plus four times nikau is mentioned in the New Testament. Is indicated what man must do. Fifteen of those twenty-four times it's mentioned in the Book of Revelations. Fifteen is a very unique number. It's the combination of five times three. Five, God's grace. Three, the fullness representation of the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. 15, God's grace in fullness. Also, 15 is one plus five or equals six, which talks about the working of man. Therefore, if a man work to be an overcomer, he will receive God's full grace. The 17 promises that are given to an overcomer are very specific. The, the number 17 has no specific meaning. We understand that we talked about that, but the one plus seven equals eight, which is new beginnings. Therefore, we see that to them that overcome are promised new beginnings. What is an overcomer? I'm glad you asked. The Greek word nikau 
means that one that prevails or conquers, one that gets the victory over a situation, is to conquer difficulties. Therefore, when we say we are overcomers, we're saying we don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, but we rejoice in so much as we are partakers of Christ's suffering, that we know if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. We strive to prevail over difficulties which come our way. And the next question a lot of people ask is, who is the overcomer? Well, the overcomer is everyone that can sing the song, we're, over, you, 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 we're overcomers. I, or everyone that can't sing the song, we're overcomers. We understand that. But everyone that sings that song is not an overcomer. Understand that there is, uh, there is wheat growing in the earth as well as tares, and they grow together. But who is the overcomer? What does the Bible say about the overcomer? The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. In order to be an overcomer, you have to be born again. John 3 and 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does that mean to be an overcomer? What does an overcomer, what does he overcome? We said an overcomer is one that is first of all born of God. We said that we're able to surmount difficulties and prevail against every situation. However, the question becomes, what are the difficulties they overcome? There are only three. Remember three? Three represents the fullness. And when you overcome these difficulties, then you're fully an overcomer. What are the three difficulties? Well, let's talk about them for just a moment. I believe the three difficulties are, number one, I believe it's the world. I believe another one of the hard difficulties we have in life is our flesh. And then, of course, the third difficulty we have to cross paths with in, in, our, in our walk with God is the devil. Let's take, for example, the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 2 and 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't be an overcomer and love the world or the things of the world. You've got to, you've got to come out from among them. And you've got to be separate from, from them is what the Lord really calls us to be. You can't walk hand in hand with the world and with, and, and with God at the same time. James 4 and 4 says it like this, Whosoever therefore will be a friend to the world is the enemy of God. Understand, to be an overcomer, you have to prevail. You've got to prevail. You must prevail against the world. The world's a tough place to be. The world is a lot of things that are pulling on our mind and on our society and in our life. The world pulls at us constantly. It's amazing to me how the enemy really traps us Oftentimes, even Christian people, he entangles us in warfares and battles and minds and, 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 and he gets us involved in the things of the world. Before, before we know it, we're entangled. We're entangled with the world. You know, one of the things I really do like to watch is I've got a couple of nieces that play softball. I love to watch them play. I love to watch them, the smile on their face and, and to watch them hit the ball and make home runs. And just the other night, my oldest niece hit hit an actual uh, home run over the fence, one of her first home runs ever. Actually, it was her first home run ever. 
over the fence. And just the excitement that I, I could hear in her voice and the, and, the, and the look on her face and the expression, uh, knowing that she hit that home run, made her feel a certain kind of way. You know, the enemy has a way of tricking us in the world. I tell people oftentimes, and, 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 and I, people have made references time and time again, the devil's really good at painting a picture of the world. He makes the world look like that billboard sign when you're going down the road and your and your stomach is growling and you're and you're at the point of what they call being hangry. You know, hangry is the point where you're ready to you know throat throat punch somebody in order to get to a steak sandwich or a hamburger or something. That that's what it means to be hangry. You're you you need something to eat right now. But the the enemy knows how to paint you a billboard in your weakest moment, in your most strategic moment of your life, he knows how to paint you a sign that points to things of the world, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's your, uh, uh, you're drawn out through ball games or you're drawn out through uh, travel, you're drawn out through just, the, just having the, the, the life living in this earth. There's nothing wrong with living life, but what happens is we make it an idol to God when we put it before God or we put it before the house of God. Matthew wrote in the scripture, he made it real plain. He made it real plain. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. When you look at that scripture, you go back up above that and you read that in Matthew there. And you find out what things he's talking about when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God. The truth is in our society, in our world, the enemy has tricked us. He's duped us, so to speak. He's, 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 he's caught us in a web and in a trap that our mind is so entangled with the things of the world that we can't even focus on the things of God. So we talk about the things of the world, but what about the things of the flesh? The flesh. Understand that we say, when we say flesh, we're, we're not talking about this body per se. Because this body is dust and it's going back to the dust and the body doesn't, doesn't act uh, only on its own, but it reacts to what the spirit and the soul on the inside tell it to do. Therefore, when we, we talk about overcoming the flesh, we're not talking about this body, so to speak, but we're talking about what controls this body. We're talking about the mind, the very inner means of, of your soul. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. This battle is not against the flesh of any kind. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 4 and 8 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, guess what? They mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is the enmity against God for it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Man, think about that statement. If you're in the flesh, it's impossible to please God. When you overcome the flesh, you have, you have transformed the mind from the carnal mind into a spiritual mind. The word transform means to undergo a metamorphosis, which is to change from one thing into another. Once you undergo this metamorphosis, you no longer think the way you used to think. You begin to mature 
and, and you begin to think the way that the Spirit of God wants you to think. And now you're pleasing to God and you're moving in that avenue to be more pleasing to Him every day. Therefore, that makes you an overcomer of the flesh. And the truth is, the more that you do that, the more oftentimes you're going to find that you're an overcomer of the flesh than you are subject to it. But that doesn't come easy. It's not easy for anybody when you think about it. Overcoming the flesh is one of the hardest things to do. We're drawn by the temptation of the flesh all day long. We're driven by the six senses that we have. I know the science says five, but we've got that sixth sense called intuition, which is our inner being. But you know what? If you're born of God, there's a seventh intuition or there's a seven, a seventh sense that you've got about you. It's the discernment of the Holy Ghost. It's the feeling of God's spirit on the inside of you. That one sense that you've got inside of you can take control of the other six and make you walk and allow you to walk in the spirit the way you're designed, the way that God wants to walk with you. The third thing was the devil we talked about. Overcoming the devil, my gosh, how do you do that? There's only one way to overcome the devil, and that's with the Word of God. Think about it. When Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was led into the wilderness to be tried of the devil. And listen to this. The Bible said this. It said that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. It didn't tell it. It didn't say the devil did. It said the Spirit did. Every time the devil tempted Jesus while he was in the wilderness, Jesus replied simply with words like this, It is written. He defeated the devil with the word of God that was already written. He didn't, uh, he, 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 he didn't provide a brand new word at that moment. It wasn't, it wasn't a logos word. It wasn't a word that was designed for that moment in his life, but it was a rhema word. The rhema word is a powerful, is powerful. When you think about it, the rhema word causes change. The rhema word is the word of God that said, let there be, and there is. The rhema word it is, is the very spoken word of God himself. So when you have Jesus here that is overcoming the devil and he's pushing back against the Satan's temptations and he's saying to him, listen, I'm not, I don't have to design anything new. What I've got to do is pull out of the word of God and I've got to bring it to life into spoken form, put it in the atmosphere. And he said, it is written. The truth is when we overcome the world, the flesh and the devil, then, we, then we're overcomers and we're able to receive every promise that God has. Not, not just, not just uh, those that are to people that are not overcomers, but people that are overcomers. We, we are partakers of the whole promise of God. What are these promises? Well, let's look at a couple, a couple of these promises. Revelation chapter 2 says, To him that overcome, I will give to eat the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a cherub at the gate of the garden, lest they go and eat of the tree of life. Because they failed to overcome and to be overcomers, they didn't get to eat of the tree of life, which literally means you'll have everlasting life. That's the promise of God. Revelation 2 and 11 says, He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death is an eternal separation from God. The overcomer doesn't have to worry about being separated from God ever again. We will forever be in his presence, and in his presence is the fullness of joy. Moving along, Revelation 2 and 17 says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Manna was the miracle bread from heaven that fed the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. 
However, that bread being uh, being a miracle is not the hidden manna. Jesus is the hidden manna. The Bible says in John 6 and 32 and 33, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus is the hidden manna. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Understand, Jesus is the gospel, and he is hid from the eyes of men, both naturally and spiritually in a lot of cases. When you, when you become an overcomer, You'll be able to taste and see, like the scripture said, that the Lord is good. Revelations 2 and 17 says, and I will give him a white stone. And this is a threefold promise in and of itself. And it's a promise of of actual, it's a promise of admittance. It's a promise of intimacy. The promise of acquittal refers back to when a person was tried of a crime. The judge would hear the case and make the decision by giving uh, either a white stone, which the person was innocent, or a black stone, which stated that the person was guilty. God's promise as an overcomer, a white, meaning that you have been acquitted of all your sin and you're not guilty. Number two portion of that, the promise of admittance. This is also, this also refers back to the times past when a person tried to get into a certain organization or club as a member of the organization would cast a secret vote rather than, than uh, uh, accept them into their organization. They'd place either a stone or a black stone in the box and the stone, if the stones were all white, the person was accepted into the organization. However, if the stones were black, it said that the person had not been accepted into that organization. Here God promises to accept you into his family. We're adopted into the sonship of God, making us heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The third portion of this is the promise of intimacy. It's representative of a man giving a woman a diamond ring for engagement. Women love diamonds. We know that. And diamonds are are their best friends. But it it says, I promise to love you. That ring says, I promise to take care of you. The diamond says, I promise to protect you. And that diamond screams, hey, I promise to keep you by my side. When God created a woman, he took a bone from Adam's rib. The bone came from his side, representing walking and working beside him. From under his arm to be protected by him. From close to his heart to be loved by him with intimacy. Revelations 2 and 17 says, And the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying he hath received it. The changing of the name represents a marriage of a husband and wife. When a man and a woman get married, the woman takes on his name. When you become an overcomer, he will give you a new name. Revelations 2 and 26 says, And he that overcometh and keep my works unto the end, to him I will give power to over the nations. This refers to the scripture in Revelation 20 and 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Wow. Revelation 3 and 5 says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. White raiment means righteousness, not our righteousness, but the Shekinah glory of God, just like it was in the beginning. Adam and Eve didn't need clothes because they were clothed in the glory of God. They were clothed in white raiment, which was the Shekinah glory of God. Revelations 3 and 5 
and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. If your name is found in the book of life, you will have eternal life. Bottom line, your name not being blotted out means the overcomer, they are guaranteed everlasting life. Revelations 3 and 5 says, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I like this one, man, I like this one. Picture this if you don't mind. It's a courtroom and you're being judged by God and the angels are the jury and Jesus is the advocate and he confesses your name. Yes, yes, Johnny or whoever, what your name is, is my child. He is a child of mine. What a great revelation that is. Revelations 3 and 12 says to him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is the support of a structure. As long as the pillar stands, the structure stands. Revelations 3 and 12. And I will write upon him the name of my God. Listen to this, man. This refers to the scripture in Revelation 73 saying, uh, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. The ceiling of the forehead shows who you belong to. When he writes the name upon the overcomer, it says, see, this belongs to me. This is mine. That's what being sealed of God means. Revelations 13 and 2. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Revelations 3 and 12. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Revelations 3 and 21. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Wow. Think about this. It's the place of authority. It's a place we reign with him in authority. Don't you know that we'll judge the angels? The Bible says that. We'll, we'll do that from the we'll do that from the throne, the seat of authority when we begin to reign with him. Revelations 21 and 7, to him that overcometh shall inherit all things. Revelation 21 and 7. And I will and I will be his God and, and he shall be my son. Look, these are the 17 promises that God has given to the overcomer. The next time you sing the song, We're Overcomers and We've Overcome, think about the promises of God and say within yourself. God has chosen me to be an overcomer. Understand today, it's important for you to keep pressing. It's important for you to push on. Being an overcomer is very important in this life. Don't be sidetracked by the enemy, by the tactics of the enemy, or anything that he tries to blow your way. Declare today you are an overcomer. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. Have a blessed day today. In Jesus' name.